So if you've ever been at a wedding reception, you will probably notice uh, a lot of people dancing when the, when the appropriate moment comes. And uh, something which comes out, a little tune which is revealed every now and again and dusted off, is the birdie dance. I'm not sure if you've ever seen your parents doing it. That one. It's um, horrendous. It's, uh, it's just really embarrassing just to see a whole pile of people out on the dance floor. These are the moments when I'm just so glad I don't, don't dance anymore. Just let you off. And, uh, and it's, just, it's uh, interesting to see how, how in certain circumstances... That kind of, uh, we'll say, foolishness is is accepted. Obviously, you know, it's, it's a, or like YMCA or any of these things with a, with particular uh, movements and gestures and and all that kind of thing. And people do it. And as I say, like I remember being at a wedding once, and there was a, a, a well-known and respected doctor who was out on the dance floor, really giving it loads, like for these for those kind of songs, just really giving it his heart and soul. And you know, I was just looking at him, going, "Wow." Do I want him working on my heart? As in, like, as a surgeon, you know? But he's quite good at what he does, but just in those moments, it, just, it all looks a bit kind of, you know, crazy, right? Um, and it got me thinking this morning of the, the, the idea, like, of, of time and a place. There's a time and a place for things. There's a time when a little bit of foolishness like that is okay, you know what I mean? Like, at a wedding reception or, you know, something like that. It's okay. You know, it's okay to dance like that. Don't do it at a funeral. That's not the place. Right? At a wedding reception, okay. Funeral reception, not so much. Okay? Time and a place. Time and a place. There's a time and a place for, 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 for speaking. And there's a time for being silent. There's a time for, for in our relationship with God as well, to, to speak to him. There's also time to listen. There's a time to, to act and there's a time to, to be still. The, the difficulty of the skill is, is knowing when is when, when is the right time, when is the right time to speak or to be silent or to, to act or to not act or to, to stay or to move or to, to have the conversation, not have the conversation, um, whatever it may be. All those, that's the, that's the, the, the principle of, 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 of prudence, you know, asking the Lord, Lord, when is the right time? When is the right time to do this? And what is the right action? Because it's not always clear. In our church also, like we have a time for fasting and a time for feasting. And it's, it's, it's good that we do that. This is uh, an, ancient, like, an ancient practice back you know, from the Old Testament. This is nothing, nothing new to, to Judaism or, or Christianity. Uh, but that there are certain times when one would fast, when one would refrain from eating food or refrain from eating meat, as an offering to God. So you replace something good, i.e. food, with something better, which is God. So there's a, and there's a time for that. There's a time for this kind of fasting, this kind of uh, pruning, this kind of simplification of our lives, also of the liturgy to some degree. You know, the altars are, are, don't have flowers on them and, and that thing, and that sort of thing during, during Lent. We have this whole period of Lent in preparation for, for Easter. Then after which there's a time of feasting. The Lord has risen. The, the, the glory, the power, the, the hope, the light of Easter. There's a, t- there's a time for that. So in, in our faith, we have this say, time for, for, for fasting, time for feasting, time for stillness, time for action, time for words, time for silence, time for prayer, time for action. We're, and our goal going through this life is, is to know when to do what.
in our gospel today, we have the, the gospel of Lazarus. So that's, that's Lazarus, the rich man. Sorry, Lazarus, the poor man and the rich man. And it's, there isn't a lot of detail. Jesus doesn't, doesn't give a whole pile of detail. Obviously, it's, 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 it's a parable, but there are, certain, there are certain things that we're not quite sure of. There was a rich man who used to dress in purple. Purple, by the way, was a, an ex, it sounds odd to say it today, especially the way I'm dressed, but purple was an exceptionally expensive color back in the day because it was, uh, it was found in certain kinds of shellfish, and for each shellfish, you got one drop. So, like, you needed, I don't know, I don't know how many, but some, maybe a thousand, two thousand or something of these shellfish to get, to be able to, to get enough purple to make something like this, right? This is, I don't know how they, do, I don't know how they make color today, how do they, I don't know, but whatever, it's, it's definitely not by squeezing shellfish. Uh, so that, that, was, that, was how, that was how they did it back in, so it was a very expensive, so if you, if you had purple, you were rich, you were rich, okay? So, so, so that's what they used to do. So, so he used to dress in purple, and fine linen, and feast magnificently every day. At his gate there was a poor man called Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to fill himself with the scraps that fell from, from the rich man's table. Dogs came and licked his sores. So Jesus is driving home the point here. This man was quite poor. I mean, like, dogs came and licked his sores. That's, that's, that's a really pitiful situation to be in. Now, the, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels. Note that. Right, the poor man died and is carried away by the angels to the bosom of Abraham. And then the simplicity of the next line, the rich man died and was buried. Okay, you see the, the comparison there. One is carried away by the angels to the bosom of Abraham, the rich man, on the other hand, uh, died and simply was buried. Okay, so in his torment in Hades, the, poor, the rich man sees the joy of heaven. So, uh, it can also be argued that this could be actually purgatory, okay, as opposed to hell, uh, because this rich man doesn't seem all that bad in that he's concerned about his brothers. He's concerned that his brothers don't come to this place of torment too. You know, so he wants to, he's speaking to Abraham and he wants to send someone back to take care of his brothers. What did, what did the rich man get wrong so far? In, what did the rich man get wrong at this point that he would find himself in this, as he calls it, this place of torment in Hades? What did he do wrong? Well, again, the time and the place. Being rich in and of itself isn't sinful. It depends on what you do with it. It also depends on how you got it. But being rich isn't the problem. It's what you do with it. Also, being poor doesn't necessarily mean that you're holier than anyone else. Again, it depends on how you lost your wealth. It, you know, if you drank it or gambled it all away, then that, that doesn't make you any more saintly just because you're poor. Okay, so the problem here isn't, isn't wealth. It's this idea like of, of time and a place. What do you do with it? This man, the rich man, feasts magnificently every day. Where is Lazarus? Lazarus is at his door. The rich man would have seen him daily and maybe even stepped over him. So the fact that the rich man ate well every day isn't so much the problem, but he had no attention no interest in this man in such a pitiful state at his door. So eating well wasn't the problem. Ignoring the needs of his brother was. So the rich man, as I say, he almost redeems himself in this story. The rich man replied, Father, I beg you, 
Send Lazarus to my father's house, since I have five brothers, to give them warning that they do not come to this place of torment too. They have Moses and the prophets, said Abraham. Let them listen to them. And no, Father Abraham, said the rich man. But if someone comes to them from the dead, they will repent. Remember, Jesus is telling this story. Jesus is telling this parable. Okay, So Jesus is saying that the rich man sees Lazarus being consoled in the bosom of Abraham. The rich man is in this place of, of, of torment. He doesn't want his brothers to come here. So he wants Abraham to, to send someone back. Okay, I care about my brother. So there's actually there's, there's love in this guy's heart. There should have been maybe a little more towards, towards the poor and the needy, but there is, there is still, still some care and concern there. He's not just talking about himself here. He wants to take care of his family. And then Abraham replies, and keep in mind, it's Jesus telling the story, you have to keep this in mind. Uh, Abraham replies, if they will not listen to Moses or the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus is telling this before his passion. They will not be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus himself knows that everything he's going to go through now in his passion, death and resurrection, there will be some for whom this will not be enough. They will hear about the passion. Some may even witness it, as, as many did. See what is happening. Know that this is the same man, Jesus, who healed and taught and preached and was good to so many people during his three years of ministry, and beforehand, obviously, but especially during his ministry, he became much more well-known. And yet this innocent man, here he is suffering and dying, and that won't be enough. It's, it's all he can do. It is sufficient. But for some people, that's not the kind of God they want. I mean, imagine like this, the heaviness of Jesus' heart as, as, as he's telling this. This will not be enough for everyone. Some won't want that kind of God. How hard that must have been. So, in our, in our daily experience, in our daily lives, we have, we have choices. I, I, I read somewhere, I can't remember where now, but um, how many conscious choices we make in a day. Something in or, in or around, it was, it was 10-ish, thou, 10-ish thousand. And anyway, one every two or three seconds, it works out on average, where you make a decision, right? Which is pretty good going. Right? You're, constantly, you're constantly making decisions. You know, the floor is wet, so do I avoid the puddle or do, do I just walk straight through it? There's a, you know, a cold cup of tea left in front of the phone that's been there for three days. Will I actually bring it to the sink or will it magically get there itself? Let's think about that. No, it won't magically get there itself, so maybe I should actually bring it to the sink so it can be washed. How about that? Anyway, <laughs> pet peeve, what? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I make a decision. I make a decision. I see something that needs to be done. Do I do it? I see, you know, even the words I choose. I'm constantly choosing what I say or who I say them to or how, how I say them. So we make so many conscious decisions. And, and it's in this case of working out uh, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. What is the time and the place? What is the time? When is the time to be silent? When is the time to speak? When is the time to refrain from acting? When is the time to act? But to act, to act. When, when the Lord inspires me, go, do what he's asking to do, and do it now. Don't be passive. Who is the person in need? Who is the Lazarus at my door? Lord, we ask you to reveal to each one of us 
how we can be of service to you, how we can build up your kingdom, how we can be your consoling word, your consoling presence, how we can be your consoling glance, how we can bring light, hope and joy and peace into people's lives by our choices. We have so much power if we only knew. So may we learn from today's gospel. Lord, may we not be blind to the needs of those around us. Amen. Uh-huh.